Hello and welcome to Cherry Stem number. Just move your lips. <laughs> we'll, we'll just put it in afterwards. Uh, 17, I think. Um, hello and welcome to our viewers, literally, and listeners, as we have this both as an audio podcast on patreon.com slash Anna Cherry and here on the Anna Cherry YouTube channel. So welcome to Cherry Stem. We're going to be talking about intelligence. What's it mean to be smart? Uh, we're going to go over that. To so be. we're going to go to the 4chan board, but they've no uh, Reddit. We're going to go to r slash I am so smart. Yes. That's how we're going to figure this out. That's our new YouTube niche, by the way. We're going to join Saro TV and Slazo and going over all the R subreddits yeah. and, uh, and taking the piss. <laughs> it's the uh, scientific method of doing it. Yes. Uh, so speaking of the scientific method. Intelligence. What does it mean? What are it? What are it? And how can you too? Uh, and, and, and what does it mean? What does it mean to be smart? So on one hand, we have computers that have strong computing power. But we don't think calculators are smarter than humans. I also don't think AI is smarter. And, uh, you know, we've got so they can they can memorize uh, perfectly. They what do you can, mean by AI? Uh, weak AI. It's, well, we have AI up to this point. Uh, kind of excluding some of the neural network stuff, which is actually starting to border on real intelligence. But the uh, so this is something actually that's part of my notes. So I'm I'm gonna you know continue on. Right? The um, uh, so yeah, so a computer can memorize and regurgitate perfectly. It can it can do those operations which we um, we needed human beings to, to do before, which mm -hmm. is to store information and keep it perfect and be able to recall it. That computers can do it far better than humans can. They can calculate much faster. So all of those things are not a, they are a type of intelligence. We, I, we, we've known that, and that's actually the type of intelligence that we really, really, you know, uh, looked towards as a, as like the primary kind of intelligence up in like, uh, up to like the 50s and things the like that. Intelligence. But that is exactly, but a computer doesn't understand anything. Right, so At we also all. have examples of human computers, if you could call them that. Like, uh, I know one of your favorite examples is Kim Peek, who can uh, recall any day of the week and name the precise day of the week based on I the date. Now, gave so. Him. Right, so he, he's very, very good with memorization of exact dates on what day of the week it happened and what year. Uh, but he needs help tying his shoes, so it's not. On the other hand, uh, are poker players, uh, social manipulators? Uh, are uh, are those people intelligent, uh, or people who can navigate subways, or or uh, complex maps, or people who can program computers, or computers themselves? There are so many different ways of thinking about intelligence, but we have an IQ test that measures intelligence. So, what is intelligence? And some things we would classify hierarchically as more intelligent than others, like a human who can create is more intelligent than a computer or the AIs that we have currently, as you call them, weak AI. Uh, but what is intelligence? Yeah. We go from there. Um, we can look at the two separate systems of intelligence that were introduced all the way back in 1963 by Raymond Cattell, who um, proposed the idea of fluid intelligence and crystallized intelligence. And fluid intelligence is the um, fluid reasoning, uh, is the capacity to reason, solve novel problems. Uh, that are independent of any knowledge from the past. So it is basically an ability to analyze a problem, uh, identify patterns and relationships that underpin the problems that you're seeing, and then you can extrapolate using logic, deduction, 
um, it's considered as a problem solving um, intelligent sort of aspect of intelligence. And these are two separate systems, by the way. They're not like one is a crystallized form of the other, because one is called fluid, the other one's crystallized. They're not related, they're two separate systems as it was proposed by Cattell and then later his student. And then uh, crystallized intelligence is the ability to use skills, knowledge, and experience. Uh, it does not equate to memory, but it does rely on accessing information from long-term memory and all of your experiences throughout your life. So it is sort of a, uh, crystallized intelligence is one's lifetime of intellectual achievement as demonstrated largely through vocabulary, general vocabulary, general knowledge. Uh, it's, I guess, sort of, I guess, encyclopedia knowledge, you, you would say even, um, but this may include skills as well. So if you, you know, or even wisdom, uh, because older people, sort of old people and the elders rely on uh, experience gathered throughout their life to have, uh, you know, wisdom, to have knowledge, to have an understanding. So um, I would personally identify uh, or de define, <laughs> define intelligence as um, the ability to um, accurate prediction of reality. So, so yeah, that would be the ultimate intelligence, I would say. Right. Yeah. What, what is the what is the, the, the one thing that is really um, you know, what, what do we develop intelligence for? And it was, of course. And of course, it's measured by a Q test, which right. in, in, in our case, there are some, some questions that I will bring that up later. But just to set up the, the tone, sort of the tone for the, the conversation, we have uh, a set of uh, tests. Where did they go? That is so strange. Um, I had a whole thing of um, IQ tests and then they, they disappeared. But uh, there's, there it is. There's a list of IQ tests. Most commonly it's Weschler Adult Intelligence Scale. Um, but you also have uh, Stanford Binet Intelligence Scale, which I'm not really sure why it would come up on this list because it's not actually, I don't, in my understanding, the Stanford Binet Intelligence Test has to do with identifying disorders. So I wouldn't, it's not so much an intelligence test as, as a, a problem finding test. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I have to look more into that, but um, it's Stanford Binet intelligence scales, which they use to um, look for things like schizophrenia, schizophrenia, emotional problems in children and things like that. Uh, and then of course, most common is the Wessler adult intelligence scale or the Wessler child intelligence scale. And I was trained to administer both of those tests and have administered both of them. Um, and then there's Woodcock-Johnson test of cognitive abilities, Reagan's progressive matrices, uh, Reynolds intellectual assessment scales. There's like 11 of them that are uh, IQ tests. And, uh, you know, all of them pretty much rely on your standard bell curve with a low number in the beginning with a few people there uh, who are, you know, mentally deficient. And then a high number on the other side of the scale where also low numbers there uh, who are, you know, your geniuses. And then most of the people fall in between. So that's the, the standard bell curve. Uh, that's what that means. So it's like you have an average population and then low and high. Uh, but there's evidence uh, that these tests, like Weschler, for instance, is not um, uh, comprehensive when it comes to people who are different, such as Asperger's or a variety of other things. So um, what would you define? Well, it's interesting that between the uh, the fluid and crystallized intelligence is kind of along the same uh, lines that I that I like to. Uh, I, I think that that there is still this sort of a divide between the two halves of the brain kind of thing. That we've got a reason why we saw it that way initially, even though it's not exactly, you know, human hemispheres. Yeah, um, the two hemispheres of the brain. And I mean, to be clear, just, the the two hemispheres do. Uh, 
they definitely do different things. Right. They delegate. The brain delegates uh, tasks um, to different sides of the brain. So one side actually does correspond to the language generation, for instance, uh, or actually those are on the same side, but um, to writing and the other one to speech. So uh, you could have damage in an area where, you know, you can't write something, uh, but you can speak it just fine. So it's not even, there's not localized and it's in different sides of the brain. And there are sort of patterns on how, what, what each side does. Right. Was that fair to say? So, yeah, there's definitely uh, not just patterns, but also kind of you can see that there's um, so the idea of characteristics the uh, to each side. And so, so the is whole that, left brain, right brain thing. The point is you can argue that left brain and right, right brain being logical and emotional is, is, is totally wrong. Well, you, it's kind of wrong, kind of right. And so there, there's definitely something to it is, is kind of my point. And I, and I think it actually goes along the line of different types of processing, which is uh, linear and concurrent. And in modern terms, that would be like digital versus analog processing. Now, analog processing is something that what, that uh, cropped up in the early days of, of uh, computers that um, kind of got abandoned just because um, uh, the precision that could be gained in um, <coughs> via the, the the kind of the digital format uh, was the most valuable at the time, and so it kind of got squeezed out by by market forces. But mm -hmm. there's a the the thing is it's returning. Like uh, right now in um, in video processing, what they do is is they sort of emulate analog processing. And uh, what analog processing is, it is concurrency. So in other words, it's it's very difficult to conceive of concurrent processing, especially, and it's especially difficult since language itself is linear to, to even explain real concurrent processing. And, and the best way to look at Unless it is- Unless you suck at language and just communicate poorly because <laughs> you're thinking concurrent. There is a, yeah, well, but the language comes out, the, the language comes out linear. Comes out, <laughs> it's, it's, it comes out of a mess. Yeah. But uh, yeah. um, the the point is, is that in uh, concurrent processing, uh, it the it's it's best categorized as uh, based upon wave phenomena. So whenever you're at you know addition and of waves, interference, uh, things of that nature, the the way in which they combine and uh, it's it's easy to kind of see it as an as an aggregate of uh, of different sets of data that can happen simultaneously so um so i kind of see the um uh, like like there is some evidence to suggest that people's as as the, the their the corpus callosum is damaged that people can actually suffer frustration from not being able to get their the processing that is done on the right side of the brain over into the left side of the brain to produce speech to express uh, what it is that they're wanting to express with part of themselves. So, I mean, there's this, there's just some interesting um, things around that. But the, 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 the point is that there is uh, all throughout nature, you see kind of a, a, um, a, uh, a way in which analog processing occurs. So just, just a, a, to continue forward on that whole analog processing thing right now. So NVIDIA chipsets and things like that, they're, they are emulating uh, analog processing in a way. And I think that, um, uh, there will be a uh, revolution. You, you heard it here first. There will be a revolution when when analog digital uh, hybridization becomes mainstream again. It, it was actually it's only being I think it's only still being really uh, researched in like 
you know, one lab at like Harvard or something. Uh, but the thing is that the analog processing, which is concurrent processing, is basically a method of, uh, of simultaneously combining large amounts of information, but you do not gain the same level of precision. So there is a there's a volume, so a volume throughput that you gain, but uh, but then also there's a loss of precision, and that's what basically is the opposite of your linear processing, which is a which is you know you've got a, a tremendous amount of precision, but that tends to limit the volume uh, you know throughput overall. So so anyway, so that, that's like I said, you heard it here first. There will be a revolution in in computers when we start using uh, digital analog uh, in in. Uh, computers and we're kind of at that limit right now where it's about to happen uh and they'll and they'll probably call it uh quantum computing but it, but it won't be because uh, quantum computing is bullshit so anyway um <laughs> aside from that so yeah i i think that the, the the type of intelligence so so when we look at the type of intelligence that a computer has and that right now the, com the current computers that are not using um, uh, neural nets. Right. Uh, were, so, so we have to kind of look at the AIs that were developed all the way up through the 80s and 90s and even the early aughts. Um, you know, neural nets have been around for a long time too. But the point is that there was a dominant type of programming which was very linear and it was uh, and the way in which it worked was based on linear computation and it was not an understanding. And so what I'm wanting to establish here is the idea that what is the essence of what separates human intellect from computer intellect because right. that's what's interesting now i mean I, I i don't want to completely degrade all of that there's tons of human beings who their skills match what computer skills are and now those are becoming obsolete uh, in other words the ability to to do those things that a computer can has has been necessary for humanity for a long time and if, and if technology fails of course we'll need it again but it's beginning to be much more important to be able to do the thing that is human. I was about to say, if uh, our AIs are, uh, that, that's perhaps where the quote comes in, uh, give me moderately intelligent brain. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, don't give me a super brain. But the point is, the AI is trying to emulate human intelligence. So we have uh, de facto established, all collectively agreed, that uh, human intelligence is the winner. Right. And so that, that difference is the difference between knowledge and understanding. A computer can have tremendous, perfect, knowledge and and be able to recall it perfectly but not put it together and have, in a novel way right and so, so once again this novel thing so done. so creativity so there's both so there's both prediction and creativity well what is exactly creativity then so there's these two things and i think that we actually have the first um examples the very first first fundamental examples of creativity occurring in the deep dreaming um uh, things, in other words, where, where it looks like the computer's tripping. Uh, so, so I would like to add to that that the the creativity is, uh, as you've actually called it, uh, the magic of making mistakes, because uh, the deep dreaming neural net is uh, seeing is overlaying patterns on things that right. it's are focused extracting pattern patterns that are not there, and it creates something new and weird and beautiful. Right, and but basically, what it is, it's faulty pattern recognition. In other words, it's recognizing a pattern which is not necessarily there and then through what you can do then you can actually have like for instance okay uh, we're, we're kind of jumping around in a lot of different places sorry this is very nonlinear uh and so it, it does make it linear on my page we have we're, do, we're, we're demonstrating computer versus concurrency. human 
coming out. Making mistakes in creativity. We're yeah. in that phase. Yes, we're doing yeah. it. We're right there. We're, we're doing a demonstration. We're jumping all over the place. Um, let's see. Let me try to, to get this a little more linear, though. Um, so, so, yeah. Oh. That's right. So one of the things that I wanted to continue from, like we had over this, uh, going back to the human element. So, so what we're going to, we're going to try the overarching view here is what is the difference between human intellect and computer? And we're going to say specifically that it is understanding and creativity. And we need to define what understanding and creativity exactly are, how, how it works. So uh, now I'm going to back up to the end of our last podcast, which was Basically, we're speaking to people who are uh, uh, dealing with depression. And I wanted to talk about the two kinds of intellect being based upon doubt and certainty. And that all of us have both of these things. And extremely intelligent people usually have both of them in a tremendous amount. They have both a tremendous amount of doubt and a tremendous amount of certainty, both of them in their mind uh, in, uh, in, in, in to, to kind of an extreme. And they tend to just you know vacillate between them. And you'll end up finding that people who are geniuses are usually have mental issues because they're a basket case from fluctuating back and forth between being extremely certain in themselves and being very doubtful of themselves. Being extremely but, doubtful of themselves. Right. Because, uh, okay, so so basically... Relatable means. So the, the, the whole thing that we were talking about last is with the depression, you, there's a tremendous amount of self-doubt. There's a tremendous amount of doubt in general about reality, about the future, about everything. However, doubt and being consumed by doubt. Isn't depression uh, necessary for the Absolutely. brain to kick in? To, to reorganize improve? itself, to... Uh, to increase creativity specifically that's what occurs when uh, why depression exists in animals and, and other humans and things like that is to be yes. able to to <laughs> to adjust Break to a new circum fun. circumstance you you specialized you need to get out of specialization because circumstances have changed so therefore creativity leads to a new type of specialization as you adapt to the new circumstance so yeah so that's what the what doubt depression things like that so being consumed with doubt that was that the thing is doubt so we were talking about how to get over doubt in the last thing and now I wanted to last talk about how the yeah the last um, episode you're referring to the holiday health uh, right. And so now I want to get to get over certainty because uh, because when it comes down to it, there's each one has its advantages. So you, with doubt, you have all this creativity. It's, it's not just and constant fact checking, which which actually leads to increased intelligence. Right. Well, not just fact checking, but but specifically. It is regression analysis. The difference between doubt and certainty in a human mind is the level of regression analysis. Now, think about the, uh, what, what I mean what by regression analysis yeah. is, is that looking at whenever you are talking about something, uh, one of the things you'll find with a lot of um, intelligent people is that they will explain themselves and, and people will think of them as over explaining. And a lot of times, because they seem to be explaining all these little pieces of, of things, other normal people will start to doubt them. Uh, and that's just part of a social mechanic because it's like, oh, if you don't believe you, I don't believe you. Uh, and, and so that, that's So once again, we're going back to the poker sort of social intelligence, right. which is a type of intelligence. Right, and, and it's a, yeah, it is a type of intelligence. So, so talk, we're talking about doubt and certainty as these kind of models that, that the, the human brain works on. But what is the, uh, shit, I, I lost an uh, extremely important component there. Um, Well, anyhow, the, the oh regression analysis. That's right. So, so regression analysis is going back and saying, is this thing that I'm relying on as an axiom actually true, and why is it true? And now these things that I have used as proof for this axiom being true, are they true? And how do we prove that they are true? And then each time that you go back, it spreads out into a bigger and bigger and bigger thing that you have to look at. 
And so for the sake of expediency, because we only have so much processing time in any given moment, that, that's called analysis paralysis, where, where, the, where you go back in regression analysis and, uh, and looking at the truth of something further and further and further to the point at which you overcome the ability to move forward. And you've only got so much brain space in a given moment. And so there's this balance between how much you are thinking broadly versus how much you are thinking narrowly and being able to get depth and move forward. So, and so that, that actually is a time constraint if you're like, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's processor time. Um, and which of course it depends on throughput. And, okay, here I am going into that whole regression analysis thing. So the point is, some people who have a tremendous amount of certainty will not do regression analysis. So what I mean by this is that when uh, a child actually experiences this the first time when you give them the um, uh, the, the paradox of what happens when an, uh, an immovable object meets an irresistible force. And what they do then is they try to com compute forward. They do not take the information that they've been given as axioms and say, hold on, let me examine those axioms, see if they can be true. And once you examine those axioms, of course, an immovable object and an irresistible force can exist in this in the same universe. So therefore, the, the whole question itself is, is, is undefined. It cannot be uh, logically examined. So, so therefore, but they'll try to try to go back and forth between well, this well, the Im immovable force, you know, the Im immovable object wins because it's immovable. Uh, oh, well, the irresistible force wins because it's irresistible, and they'll get stuck in this loop going back and forth, and that happens uh, in adults in more complex versions. But the point is, it's a lack of regression analysis. So doubt is about depth of regression analysis, but at the same time, there is a loss that occurs in the efficiency of moving forward. So, so certainty, for instance, like uh, there's a story, I don't know exactly, uh, it may be apocryphal, but there's a story that the bicycle ha uh, was a, just a totally a failed invention that the only reason it became valuable is because of the persistence of the person who, um, who continued to just, even though it, it looked like it was just something kind of impossible and do it. No, no, it, it, this is really old. Okay, uh, it, I remember making a joke about horses and bicycle makers. Yeah, well, you might have heard me tell this apocryphal story before. I don't know how true it is. Uh, but the point is that there are projects that if you had just gone a little bit further, it would be successful. So there is a, there is a necessity of seeing all the difficulties and ignoring them, seeing all the signs that this is going to fail and continuing forward. So there is a, there is a, a, there is a, a manner of moving forward instead of jumping from one project to the next, to the next, to the next, that is extremely important. And that's a type of certainty, a certainty that it's going to go forward. And that's that, that type of certainty shows up everywhere. And it is a lot of times a lack of regression analysis because you, when you, whenever, you're talking about um, things that, that whenever we tell stories, for instance, of people who have had great success, when it, if you were to look at their circumstances before the success, any rational person would say the probability of this happening is, is so low, it's ridiculous, you're wasting your time. Uh, and that's what it looks like at the time because we're doing this type of regression analysis that goes a certain depth, doesn't quite go far enough. In other words, we see that in, in within our sample size, this looks ridiculous. But perhaps if we were to increase that sample size enormously, then it might look good again. And then we you increase it even more, and sometimes it'll look bad again. There's this your sample size can change things. So so anyway, so what I'm talking about is 
you know, once again, to kind of bring it back around. What are we talking about? We're talking about why it is that a human being can can outperform a machine and how this relates and why to why we want our machines to be like to linear versus concurrent processing. I think that that the doubt versus uh, certainty is extremely um, reliant upon the linear versus concurrency. In other words, during doubt, basically what you're doing is, is and doing this regression analysis mm -hmm. is you're attempting to combine tremendous amounts of information in a very fuzzy way. Now, I don't think it's actually fuzzy. That's the thing. It's like there's something called uh, fuzzy fuzzy logic uh, that, that was around in the 90s. And it's not actually fuzzy. It's more like holography. And holography is not fuzzy. It is... Uh, when you're talking about concurrent and talking about layers, I was like, is this where... You know, yeah, that's where I'm going. Is I'm going to multi-layered data that where, where, where data can be combined. In other words, okay, so this is probably a good point to break off at a certain uh, point where I said, remember I was talking about concurrency and waveforms. Waves, when they are combined together, can make these weird little, you know, funky things that don't look like your typical sine wave. So the, the, the thing is, you're combining lots of different waves. You may get this strange, this strange thing that doesn't look like a typical wave, but a big scratchy weirdness. There's something called a... Uh, Fourier, Fourier, I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> I only read it. I don't, I don't pronounce it. The, uh, I think it's a Fourier transform. Uh, that basically it can reduce all of the various frequencies um, that are present and, and separate them out from that one complex uh, set of waves. But okay. now that's what we typically rely on to be able to separate out data that's being combined in that way. Because whenever you combine the, the ups and the downs, of various waves, and you can have a bunch of them, then you have this aggregate. And so it is not, it is, it's, well, it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of like calculus, but the, the, the point is it is not, um, it's not fuzzy in a certain way. It is as precise as the media storing it will allow it to be. Uh, so, but the thing is, when, it, when it's a combination of things, you're not looking at one specific case, but looking at a bunch of different cases. So you're looking at an average, and yeah. an average isn't accurate. Exactly. It's because it's concerned. yeah, exactly. An average. So, so say for instance, my sample. I I could think I'm dealing with uh, a bunch of 45 year old people uh, in a in some sort of um, uh, you know, like a, what's this? Some sort of bio, you know, biology uh, study or whatever. When in fact, what I'm what I'm dealing with is, is like 50, 10 year olds and 50, 90 year olds or eight year olds or whatever it, is, it comes out to. The point is, you know, you, you've got half a bunch of ten year olds and half a bunch of uh, eight year olds, and you and you combine them, you 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 could think when you look at the average that you're dealing with uh, uh, middle aged people. But the truth of the matter is, the health of middle-aged people versus old people and young people and combining old people and young people, those are very different things. So there is, whenever you aggregate data, there is this kind of a, a problem that can kind of occur with the aggregation of the data. So I think what concurrency does is aggregates all of our experiences and not just our experiences, but our entire species experiences. So we are not just aggregating the data of our experiences, but that our, our instincts as well. And so that is where I believe the feeling of emotion, et cetera, comes from is an aggregation of all of that data uh, simultaneously in the in concurrent processing. So, mm -hmm. 
So once again, talking about the, um, you know, what is the difference between humans and computers and how is it that computers are getting there? So what computers are now getting towards is by this, uh, this uh, analog processing sort of uh, regime that they're working towards with AI. One of the things that you'll find when you're looking into the way that neural networks um, are exposed to data, what they do is they, they, uh, they expose it to images over and over. And those images, um, well, in the, in the most uh, simple versions of a, a neural network, the individual cells are altered by the incoming data and kind of basically aggregates it. And then you, 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 it is an aggregation that is a very much like the addition of waveforms. And so there is a, um, it, it, it exists in a, in some, somewhat like that. You know, you have to have multiple layers and I, I'm, I'm oversimplifying things to a certain extent. But the point is, it is this kind of aggregation of data that creates something like a landscape. Like what you can, if you can look at the landscape, topography. Uh, the topography of a landscape, and it is an aggregation of all the events that can affect a landscape over millions of years. That's what it is. That, that shape is the the combination of those events and uh and so when you were thinking about where okay now, now let me talk about the, the the difference between precision and looking at things from a very broad scope so whenever you're thinking about where water is going to go how what, where's the start of a river how does how what shapes where a river goes in a valley um well you know the, there's the obvious idea that you know well wa water goes downhill i mean duh Right, uh, but there's actually in that uh, in that presumption, we kind of miss this larger landscape. And so, like for for instance, whenever you whenever we would want to determine the path of a single drop of water as it tr tracks down, you know, a mountainside or through a valley or whatever, we would think about it's like okay, we examine the lay of the land at that one particular point and all the different the heat and the the lay all that's the, all those micro fine details. However, there is uh, what determined those details in the first place was the landscape, that larger uh, landscape of what created what was downhill. And so it was, it's further back in the regression. It is further back in, um, and, and the, the, so the, the, the lay of the landscape is kind of like understanding. It is the bias that is created through these averages. And it, what it does is it limits probability. So so a lot whenever we're trying to deal with complex phenomena, we try to use probability as a way to deal with it. Mm -hmm. If if it is possible for a droplet to go any direction at all, in any distance, at any speed, it can do anything, right? It does it, but there there are always, whenever we're looking at something, there is a limitation to probability. There is a direction to it. There is something that reduces it from infinite. Right. And and so that is what our understanding is. And understanding and bias are the same thing. And that is one of the things that you'll find that people who are extremely knowledge and bias. One of the things you'll find that people who are extremely pedantic, uh, I guarantee Kim Peek, you could give him any analogy and he would never understand it. In other words, no matter what analogy you tried to throw at him, he would be like, that's not right. That, that isn't this, that isn't, isn't that. Sense. He would separate them because of yeah. his, his precision, his uh, necessity for precision. So 
let me rewind and kind of go back over this with a second pass because that's what I'm trying to do this is, is go over numerous passes because I think that's how, how our brain works. We tend to sketch things out and then we go to the details then we go to the large picture and we keep going back and forth between the large picture and the details. And we have this, this cycle going back and forth where the large picture determines where the eyes on the, you know, and the nose, all that belongs and the, and the, the, the small details it gets the, gets the exact lines right. And so you can't just focus on the details because you can have this perfect eye that's in the middle of something in, in the middle of your picture's forehead. But you can't just focus on the on the larger picture because you'll have this big fuzzy mess that kind of looks like a, a human in general. I mean, it looks damn right, but it has no precision. And so I'm going to try to try to do another pass here. Um, so let's. Uh, you know, what, give me just a second because I need to take a drink. Uh, it's a <laughs> sure. Where are you taking your second pass? <sighs> All right, let me look at my notes here. Basically, I guess uh, I need to talk about analogy and um, and bias being what understanding is. Doubt. Right. And so, um, so, so whenever we are generating all the experience of our lives is, is being basically cut into our brain. Right, and, and it is being, uh, and, and there is an overarching pattern to all of the information. In other words, it's not just the uh, individual information, but it is the way that all of the information is laid out is like the entire landscape. And where, and if we're talking, we might want to talk about a single river, but the information we use to talk about that river is the whole landscape. It's where the rain falls, if it's falling on this side of the mountain or if it's falling on this side of the mountain. And so there is a, um, so where I was wanting to back up to is the idea of, I, I, at the end of the last podcast, one of the things I said is you've got to shoot old yeller. Now, what I was talking about there is that whenever, whenever we get lost in doubt, whenever we get stuck in that regression analysis, one of the things that we have to do is make hard decisions that are imperfect in a certain way. In other words, we, we're, what, what we're doing is we're looking for, for every possibility, you know, because there's the, and, and there is the possibility that there might be a vaccine that can, that can save Old Yeller. There might be, but, the, but there are times in which the best thing for your family is, you know, to, to shoot Old Yeller because of the fact that you have to basically make a decision. So the point is we have these imperfect decisions that we have to make. And that was my, my point at the end of that, that where you can't be, you can't allow, allow doubt to get, get you stuck in analysis paralysis. Uh, and it's because if you, if you're stuck there, you will not progress. And so therefore you have to be able to make imperfect decisions. But then at the same time, we have to look at the other side of it, which is a tremendous amount of very intelligent people. They have that doubt and they have that certainty. And how the doubt um, tends to express itself is doubt in themselves or doubt in any, in any individual. And how the certainty tends to express itself is certainty in consensus and certainty in the group's idea and institutions. Sanctioned information. And been blessed information. Right, exactly. If it's been blessed. And, and so that is sort of a religious way of doing things. And the truth of the matter is religion is it doesn't evaluate things based on an individual case by case basis as you would assume a more intelligent approach would be. Right. And so religion was the first science. It was a search for truth and it was the preservation of information and systems. 
passed down uh, from, you know, from generation and to generation. And the church literally funded a fuck ton of science. They were the only people who were reading and writing at a certain point. So it was it was the birth of the scientific method. The point is that it is. Uh, you know, it, it was it was before the scientific method was scientific. Before we found the best, you know, before we found the best things, we were finding some things that were valuable. Like there's this great uh, thing where it shows a pigeon flapping its wings every time it gets fed because it, it, it was flapping its wings before. And so there's this kind of yeah, that's the, the classic response of uh, the, the the pigeon the Skinner boxes where you put pigeons in and give them um, it, irregular reward. Yeah, and so the point is he they they, they, they have it. They have superstition. Why do we have superstition? Is to capture useful information. And so that's what they're doing, is they're yeah. capturing it. But then we also As have an something called the, in, a, in an environment, navigating an environment, you don't know what it is that you did that resulted in a good thing. So you just kind of make sure remember all of it. Exactly. So the so the animals, the animal way of capturing good information. I mean, the, you know, uh, I like to say it's like, hey, you know, if, if worms are eating up your body, it's a good bet that God hates you, right? You know, which is the whole anti-pig thing, you know, because the you know the, the uh, trichinosis that you could you could catch. There are a lot of different. Not like when um, you're dead, the worms eating your body, but like while you're alive. Yeah, we, having exactly, worms from, in your muscles. Worms in your muscles from trichinosis from eating pig, and so they 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 were capturing useful information. A lot of things in religion. We're, so don't captured, <laughs> we're capturing <laughs> useful information. And that then there's something called the, the 100th monkey effect, where we see their animals. Like we're, the 100th monkey effect comes specifically from this island where they had all these uh, macaques and they were feeding them sweet potatoes. And, they, and then, like, they first saw, you know, some of the, like, one of the monkeys washing the potato. And then, and it was, in, uh, it, it was very slow. And then uh, that it would teach another one. And then, then there's just a, a few of them, and it was very, very slow in its progression. Then when it hit 100 of them doing it, suddenly, bam, all of them started washing the potatoes. Uh, and, and it was, it's basically, we have within us this way of capturing useful things and then uh, deciding via quorum sensing, because that's what that is, is quorum sensing, um, to whether or not that information should be captured on the longer term and the larger group accepted. Are you doing that? No, they're doing that. Should I do that? I'm doing that. Are you doing that? Yes. Of course. Exactly. So, so one of the things that we have is that we have doubt in our uh, ourselves and then faith in the in the group. And the truth of the matter is, we need to be able to flip that around. And sometimes intelligent people don't flip that around. Uh, they do not doubt the group, and uh, <clears throat> or if they do, it becomes very dangerous, and, be, and, they, and they end up becoming paranoid. Um, and so there is this this weird uh, thing between doubt and certainty, and how you know, uh, you know, how do you know what you know, and the the, the whole examination examination based on epistemology. So it is actually a much safer bet. Usually, in general, it is always a safer bet to go with the average. It's a, it's a safer bet to be using that and then what happens is you don't need to do a tremendous amount of regression when you don't need to do a tremendous amount of regression what you do is you have the certainty you can just use the tools that are there and you can progress it's like imagine if every time that you wanted to um uh cook a meal as, as a chef you built a new stove it's ridiculous to build new tools because you're not certain that that tool is going to work properly or or say for instance instead of building it you just go and start taking the thing apart to make sure it's really going to work you know and it's going to work the entire time so that your meal isn't ruined by the stove not working in the middle of it 
that's a doubt that you can have. But it's an it, it's a doubt that is based on uh, a weird idea of probability. Uh, so what we do is we have these probabilities that we man, that we keep in our mind that that are not factual, but we treat them as though they're factual. And and so therefore we have is people who do not do regression analysis and they gain a tremendous amount of forward momentum by not doing regression analysis and simply being certain. And that it lends itself a tremendous amount to science because there is so much information to memorize and so many tools to use within the sciences that if you spent your time really looking up and really doubting every single um, experiment and everything that go, comes along, you would not progress as a scientist. I found this out as a programmer. I, I, I got to that point where I was sitting, I was programming, and I, every time I hit a, a bug, I, if I couldn't find the bug within my code, after a certain period of time, I'd start searching into, into the libraries. And I would find in the libraries where there were mistakes in the libraries that, that oh, well, I just didn't know that this was a well-known bug within the library if you use it in a certain way. And so I'd start, so I start getting hung up on that regression analysis thing where every time I'd hit a bug, instead of saying, okay, I either just need to work around it instead of trying to plow through it, or what I'd end up doing is starting to get deeper and deeper and deeper. I try to just examine absolutely everything about the libraries, try to know more and more and more, and I get stuck in that analysis paralysis. And it got to the point where I was not moving forward on my projects because I was too, spending too much time regressing and trying to find the errors, trying to find and be and be more perfect and trying to be too perfect in that way by doubting the information, not using the tools. So there is a tremendous amount of value in simply not back checking. Right. And so we always balance this, th these two Entropy aspects. Of, yes. Right. Actually, uh, after the, uh, if I could, I could show you here for a moment. Um, we'll be coming up uh, on about an hour of a broadcast in uh, 20 minutes or so. And uh, we were thinking of uh, wrapping it up somewhere around an hour, hour and a half um, at two hours max. Um, so you guys don't, uh, don't die. <laughs> uh, but of course, if it goes longer, that's not a problem. Um, that's just a general sort of rule that I'm going to try to stick to. And we also have a Patreon after chat hangout with patrons. Uh, we specifically have most notably the cherry stem uh, tier. Uh, it's called cherry stem mode. Um, all the rewards are modes. There's the beginner, then challenger, then hardcore, heroic, legendary, epic, god mode, etc. And one of them is cherry stem mode. And by joining it, you will join us in the app chat, uh, in the Discord as well, uh, where I share all the things. And we'll be looking at a particular article that recently came out, uh, as was delivered to us by the BBC World Service. BBC World Service. <laughs> and it's, uh, it uh, is a particular test that uh, European countries are passing around that are wanting to enroll uh, people, countries, their students into that is all about navigating the post-truth world. And uh, how good are you at detecting fake news? So, you know, something that... Uh, yeah, and uh, so there is this this faith in consensus, then faith in what consensus, and then how deep do we go to down the rabbit hole, and how, how do we progress if we keep going, you know? And you get conspiracy the theories on, on the other. You got, yeah, yeah, exactly. You, it's it's the the way in which all of these there you can you can begin to see the way in which you can go wrong at both ends of the spectrum, and that is really kind of what I am pushing at alongside of of um, 
some of these other things is that that there is a balance. It's a homeostasis system. We find that all throughout nature, homeostasis systems, which are two opposites pulling against each other, and, and it is and it is in this variance in these two different um, the space between the, the the two opposites pulling against each other in which you have the adaptation necessary to match a changing reality. And that's why we have homeostasis systems all throughout um, in nature is because, because that, that, that necessity to adapt to ever-changing circumstances, to, uh, to hit that moving target. And it actually kind of, in my opinion, uh, relates to intelligence itself. So um, if you're uh, ready to go for it, I'm, I'm ready to, to, right. to, try to try to try to finish up. Yeah, a little bit. So, so what we're talking about is, once again, understanding so what is understanding and i'm saying here that understanding that thing that separates us from computers is that ability to do regression analysis and then use that concurrent processing model uh and i there is a by the way i wrote a paper that uh that gets into exactly how uh, our brains act as analog computers uh, and uh, this is this comes from the uh, from the um, well, there's a few different places it comes from, but it's, I don't know how far back in its lineage uh, in physics to go or, or what have you. But it's the uh, uh, Bowman Pribram uh, holonomic model of the human brain and uh, and how it stores and uses information. And it actually is based upon the interaction of fields and the way in which they uh, determine uh dendritic paths and how those dendritic paths then also determine the fields and the shape of the fields and as well as well as their um uh the frequencies and how those frequencies align uh and so the, the bowman Pribram uh, uh actually proposed this then there was a um what was the other there was another guy who took it further who i, who I met and he just died just like yesterday uh, last last year a year before um, we met him at the Foundations of Mind conference. Yeah, um, I, I, I forget his name. He's actually, I think he's actually the, the grandson of the guy who did the uh, lobotomies. Uh, but uh, anyhow, the the point is that there is that there is significant reason to see this interaction between the astroglia and the uh, and, and dendrite growth that creates patterns that are there as a physical representation of uh, these combined um, sets of waves that are of information. Yeah, right. So it's basically it is these patterns that and, and it is the shape of the field as it passes through the brain defined by the, the, the firing of the neurons, which uh, determines what exactly thought is. So uh, so then what I'm saying is that there is a scientific basis behind why I'm talking about this and you know what it relates to. And there's a very physical mechanic behind it. So, so we're talking about once again. Why is it that humans have understanding? What understanding is, and why is it why do superior? Humans have superior? Because because we have we, we definitely have superior intelligence. Nobody doubts that. Computers have superior, and we know it. it's not the ability to 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 just do computations. We know it's not the it is raw data conversion. It is the fact that there is uh, an interpretive element, right? And it is a gestalt, and that is there is a. Um, there is a sum, there is a what is it a hole that is greater than the sum of its parts and that is a, I can hand you a pile of car parts uh, that could make up an engine I have not given you an engine because it is the configuration of the parts that makes it an engine that can do specifically more. in the human brain 
because we've been evolving as a you know thinking creature and so what i'm saying is there is time. a there is a landscape of configuration of information that we often might call a bias that basically narrows our search from infinite down to a narrowed search pattern that we move within well, no whenever we're thinking through bad. something. Evolution is biased. And that is the a it is it is like an analog processing task that uh, is that is what the nature of understanding is. And it is the it is the higher level. We and we might call it in in computers today we might call it metadata, but it's not just metadata. It's the way that <laughs> it's meta metadata. It's uh, the way that all of that information fits together is a uh, a physical landscape that determines downstream computation so whenever you are uh looking well, let's go back to the the deep dreaming thing so whenever whenever uh they're doing something in deep dreaming that uh, hopefully you've, you've already seen the videos where you just give them some random seed of information yeah, and basically the computer starts to neural recognize network. the neural network starts to recognize eyes and parts body parts and it starts to create these things it's like you give them a bunch of dogs and mm -hmm. so, you know, right it was because it was trained because it was trained on tons of different dog pictures it is aggregated data that is that is very um dog specific yeah it's dog specific and it, and it uh and it's fuzzy in a certain way, but it's precise in another way that has to do with holography. And if you and uh, dogs precisely right, and I think that that there's no, there's nothing more valuable than understanding holographic. Not holography is in like the idea of a you know an image floating in the air kind of thing, but holography is in the way the the um, combination of waves creating data and data being overlapping. In other words. Whenever well, you isn't look, that how actual holograms work? Yes, it is. Scientists just apparently created the first three D uh, light hologram. Yeah, there's there's their method sucks. I've got a better method, uh, but anyway, the uh, it, it's I, I really need to patent it. A much better method. Um, you already have a three D patent. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, shit. Oh, okay. So so in in holography, it's important to understand that there is. Uh, like when you let's let's talk about the the little dove on the hologram on your Visa card or whatever, uh, and you, let's let's talk about the little tip of its beak. The thing is, when you look at the tip of its beak and you think of it as on a specific place on the surface, uh, the truth of the matter is that tip of its beak is actually spread out over a very large area on the surface and intermingled with parts of the with data about the eye and data about you know other. Other parts of the, the thing are all overlaid, and it is the way that the data interacts with itself that creates the image that comes to your eye. And so what you are seeing is not, there's not a pixel for pixel correspondence, and that is the difference between the way that we do things with computers right now. We don't store information holographically. We do not. Which is more fuzzy. Right. We store information very specifically. There is a specific digit and there's not a there's not an overlap of information in that uh, multiple sets of, in, uh, of information are all aggregated in place. And that one piece of information does not just exist in one place, but in multiple places. And you'll find that the holographic version of the brain makes sense as to why we don't just instantly lose specific memories whenever we have brain damage, because the information is stored across the whole. And that's something that scientists, uh, you know, neuroscientists, is starting to come to, and we kind of understand about the hypo um, 
hippocampus that mm -hmm. uh, it is the memory is not stored just in the hippocampus. It is actually sort of all over the brain. Mm -hmm. Obviously, hippocampus is important in processing the memory and storing it, but it stores it sort of in the network of neurons that gets activated when you recall the memory, but not in one specific spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that makes sense. So because it's what it's doing is it's integrating What's happening when you're storing a, a, uh, information is it's it's like taking a, a concept, think of it like a, a landscape, and then think of your your current idea of reality as another landscape. And then when you take this landscape and combine it with that landscape, then you have a change that uh, represents the the combination of the two. And so uh, and so it is it Does is that bring a it method closer to reality. The whole idea is to make it closer More to reality, precise. of course. And so, I mean, you have to look at what what exactly is storage of information, and the storage of information is. Uh, so that's where you were talking about the fallback of uh, aggregates. That uh, you know, if you have an aggregate of a bunch of you know children and elderly, mm -hmm. and you come out with a middle aged uh, person in the end, it's not actually an accurate uh, representation of reality. However, right as yeah. a whole, it's not an accurate, yeah. but you can refine it in certain right. ways by but if done the right, way that you combine right, it with it other, other information right. refines it which right. is basically that is the, the basis of holography it's the yes, combination it's, of information when it is actually accurately uh sourced mm -hmm. uh it uh will be it, it would be uh, it would give a more precise um, yes picture of reality than right a, a digital one. yeah and, and if you look at like any one given place it is, it a is flat not. Sort it's of a, yeah it's a, it's, a, it's it's garbage information in a certain way because basically what it is is it's an analogy it is a physical representation uh of the outside world in other words what you have in your brain the configuration of where the neurons connect and where and how they are um uh, arranged in the way that those sets of arrangements are arranged with each other all of those things represent reality in an, in an analogy. It is an analogy. And so, uh, so the point is that computers don't understand analogies. And, it, and one of the things that happens is as we are... Test your friends to find out which yeah. one of them is a secret robot. Right. Well, not a secret robot. The a thing Cylon. Is, no, you got to find out. <laughs> If they're a Cylon, yeah, you uh, find out if they're AI or from the you know the Institute and in Fallout, you, you give them an analogy and see what they do. Well, my point was is that in science, what ends up happening is we and, and in a, in the way we teach uh, children today is to memorize and regurgitate. We have been forcing people to act more like computers Dumb for down. generations now. Uh, well, our phones are getting smarter. No, <laughs> <laughs> well, our technology is actually getting smarter. Um, so. The, the, the point is to, to recognize that within ourselves that we have this necessity to choose moving forward versus regression and that we have to kind of go back and forth between them. And sometimes you can get locked in one or the other. You can get locked in doubt. And that's basically what a per depressed person is, is. They're completely locked in doubt. And then a pedantic is somebody who's locked in certainty. Now, they don't have to be certain themselves. They, they, right, but they are they are locked in certainty about a worldview. Now, whether that worldview is one that they got from consensus or whether that worldview is one that they got from, you know, th themselves, regardless, they are locked in a specific worldview that they are certain of, and that is they are not allowing new information to to aggregate on their uh, their current configuration. Um, but my my point is is that 
it is we can make people and there are people who are along the spectrum <laughs> a, a spectrum from from being way overly creative in which you end up having lots of random fuzzy garbage that is never right that is always very general and never gets down to specifics and because it it's never gets down from. to specifics it can become misshapen because it can it, it's it can the whole thing can kind of it's not as um effective right and and but then there are people who get so down on the details that they that they do not uh it's the autism spectrum right autism. They, they don't bring together the larger picture there it's is a, a compulsive there is a uh a not being able to see the forest for the trees that occurs and i think that there is a um too extreme for the brain. Of those of us that are that lean towards um precision and uh, and lean towards these things that precision is division and a division is trying to make things very unitary and basically make uh, limiting ourselves orders between things and making our minds more like a computer which is actually to be mentally disabled in a certain way and so it's just store and recall and right store and, 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 and we and end so, up nothing but crystallizing right or mm -hmm. and so yeah i think he had a fairly um it seemed a little a little off to me the way that that, uh, that he put the two, but I could see how there is kind of a correspondence to what I'm getting at here, which is the two types of intelligence and then why it is that. And so, uh, one thing I did want to get to is with the deep dreaming thing. I don't think I ever got to that. The um, with deep dreaming, what happens? You could actually, whereas with the way that they've got it set, it starts just pattern recognizing, pattern recognizing, and it just keeps going in that way and coming up with new patterns, and it never. It never reaches the cohesion part, and so that is basically kind of like this schizotypal uh, mindset. Mm -hmm. And it's only when you work the two together. In other words, there has to be a refinement phase where we start to throw away the things that the are binary computing and the neural. Right, and so you could actually make a computer that has been trained on birds to create a whole new picture of a bird without, um, and it, it, it look. Just like a, a photo, I've actually, I'm pretty sure I've seen these already. I think they've done this, but the, the point is, is that it is a, it can, you can start with a pattern recognition and then go back and forth between pattern recognition and removal of all, all that which is incorrect. And you go back and forth between the details and the overarching viewpoint. And what you end up getting is a creation of, a, of something that is wholly new based upon prior information based upon the aggregation and so that is the use of understanding well, you know, to predict the future and that is where there is something computers uh, are already doing in a sense that uh, we're reading a and if i can find it in one of the stack of our magazines i'll talk about it in the after show as well in detail but uh, there was a computer um they were teaching computers how to play video games mm -hmm. and uh the the net the i don't know if it's a neural network or if, if neural network is a term that is specific to the pattern recognition behavior or if that's a more general term, I don't know, but the AI that they created to navigate these games was finding ways uh, that are completely novel to beat the game that didn't occur to humans. So it's something that robots are already doing based on being a new life form. Right, they, they have less bias. And so you can actually adjust, adjust the right. bias. Because they would, for instance, uh, which is a great example, you would say that because the, uh, I have a great example for that, uh, that they would like crouch the whole time. And mm -hmm. they found that that was actually a more efficient Thing to do is just to crouch the whole time, which to a human player. It's like, why would you do that? Yeah, yeah it doesn't. It doesn't know or it doesn't calculate. Right. Um, also, it's not part of it that it actually. It's a more. It's a better calculator of what is a winning strategy. 
is the lack of understanding. Humans aren't very good at knowing what works, what doesn't. The lack of understanding itself actually leads to novel behavior in a certain way. In other words, there is so there there is there is this give and take that I also I haven't really uh, focused in on very much during this discussion. But the idea that the more that you understand something, that can also create bias, which mm-hmm. means that you can't actually get outside of that and that understanding because, because your understanding is a specific shape that guides all the information, and so it's uh, so. The, well, you know, so sometimes coming from a perspective of ignorance can can find a, a completely new path that somebody with understanding does not. And so, it's, so whenever we specialize, we give up generalization. And whenever we generalize, we we are not good at those things that specialization well, can. Um, I actually have an article here from the uh, Psychology Today that uh, by Christopher Berglund says that uh, too much crystallized thinking lowers fluid intelligence. Of course it does. So there's, <laughs> there is a, uh, a give and take between the two, and it does not focus. Uh, right, more. and there is, and the thing is, I mean, it's great to become a, a Olympic heavy, you know, lifter, but you're not going to be a marathon runner. Right. You can't have both. And so exactly. when you decide to specialize, you give up certain things. And I think it's extremely important that we understand that there are a lot of people who specialize and those people don't understand that they've specialized and they don't understand that they've given up something. And so there is, as uh, sometimes people become so good in the ways that, that a computer is good at intelligence, that they become bad at the ways in which a human is intelligent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and some people are so good at the ways in which a human is intelligent that they're basically, they're, they're really, yeah, they're fucking useless. But they, <laughs> but they're, they're they, great people. Yeah. Or they have lots no, of friends. But they have lots of friends. But they're good. They're the Kardashians. They're, they're good in the way that. Long here's the thing. They're good in the way that history has taught us over millions of years. That from works. a millions of years perspective, they're right. In right. other words, this whole civilization thing. If a, a meteor comes and, and 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 hits, guess who's right and who's wrong? Because we rely on friends. The, the people with the friends, the people who still uh, behave in ways that are beneficial, that still rely Don't upon rely instinct, on which what, what instinct is, is just an aggregation of the experiences of, of your species and every species before it is aggregated. It seems like evolution itself is biased because you sort of uh, prefer what works. And so you just mm-hmm. kind of end up specializing in a, in a sort of, in a way. Right. Well, there's, there's cycles. Good of- it's it's kind of a fractal that there's there's specialization and generalization within individuals as they are born generalized and then specialize and then because they become specialized they no longer can adapt to situations so they have to pass on their genes which are then generalized again and it, it, and the generalization specialization cycle has a general curve and and then that actually has a larger level which it does some of the same thing uh, on a species level whereas the species can can start to look at just like an a, a single individual of a species and that it tries to specialize, but then uh, it over-specializes like the dodo bird and eventually well, it reaches the point at which it it uh, it can it, it, it reaches a dead end and then it dies, and, um, but because it, it doesn't necessarily reproduce unless it, it reproduced much earlier in a, in a break-off species. But um, anyhow, the, I guess the, the point is, is that there is a, uh, so I, I ended the last one with the, you know, you've got to, You've got to uh, make a decision and move forward. And that's what my whole point was with the, the you've got to you got to shoot old dealer. Sometimes you've got to make the make the wrong decision. Well, the thing is, there well, is a balance that all of us face, and that is either 
spending all of our time trying to find the right decision or efficiently making the wrong decision. And, uh, and that's what that whole certainty thing is. And, and the truth of the matter is, I believe this is the balance between liberal and conservative. I was about to say, that leads into what I want to talk and about next can, month. And you can actually find in the human Don't brain, talk about that, because that's next show. I'm hinting at it. Just hinting at it. There are, there are differences, differences in the brain between conservative and liberal. And I think that when you go too far to one side or the other, you become either an animal or a computer. So, and, but also there is uh, something that you wanted to mention, uh, which I guess we could leave. Uh, you know, we, we'll just open with that uh, for the next show about uh, left versus right. That won't be uh, controversial at all. No, not at all. That'd be great. Uh, but basically there are, you know, what is morality? The left versus right, they, they, they are ways of understanding the world. They are their brain types. They are uh, sort of understanding or a moral um, approach because both the conservative and the liberal are worldviews. Therefore, there are morals. They, they do have a set of morals that differ. And uh, there's been a lot of contention between which one is better. We've, that's what it's past few years what it's been all about uh which one is right which worldview is better which uh set of morals um should people live by and so uh next month we'll do a uh what is morality and why do we have that have that balance in the first place it has to do with the availability of resources which is why you have in the, in the jungle you have tons of different uh species that have evolved because they allow lots of attempts lots of different tribes lots of weird things that aren't necessarily useful have you seen but some of those birds and how they dance yes exactly but maybe useful in the future which is why they're attempting all these weird new things but then there's in the desert and in the there's desert like five you have, things you have five things because the only things that <laughs> and they're work. all poisonous and shit. you don't you know, <laughs> and you don't fuck around at all you do exactly the right thing or you die oh, yeah. because there's no food and there's water once again. So yeah, and okay. all the species in the deserts are like killing their own babies if they're there. That, that baby was too weak. Fuck that baby. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, there's there. It's true. Uh, and that's sort of uh, once again you have the live and let live, and actually, uh, support it's, it's everything the, and everybody approach of the jungle, and then you have you know only that which is most valuable, that mm -hmm. which is most successful, only super conservative type A mm -hmm. approach. And so next month we'll be talking. And about there's that. always a balance between them, and, and we take pieces from this side and take pieces from we that do. side. So <laughs> well, I mean everybody does to a certain extent, okay. and but you may lean extremely but far to one side, extremely far to the other, and you may take hold, pieces from you know. There have been general trends that have. The 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 backlashes of which have uh, pushed people into one side or the other, kind of like when you were a kid in the tub and you like you know when you like sit in the tub and you go back and forth against the wave and you like can create a bigger and bigger wave. I see that as a kid, loved it. Um, so Resonance, yes, it's a thing. Well, you, you like go against it and like it, it creates. You don't go you don't go with the wave because you, you, then you, you just do. carries you. But you, uh, so whenever the wave would be coming at me, I'd go into it. And uh, then it would create, it would go bigger behind me. And then as it would, as it would be big behind me, I would back into it and I would like whoosh forward. And then I would go whoosh backwards and get bigger and bigger each time because I was splashing into the wave section. Um, so yeah, that was fun. Uh, yeah. You're, <laughs> right. you're increasing the height of the wave. Right. Yes. <laughs> However, I was doing that as long as it was residence. I, I enjoyed it. That was a lot of fun. Um, so backlashes, they, they've been uh, pushing and pulling people into, um, craziness lately so uh, i'm sure that'll be fun to talk about as well in the after show yeah. um but yeah so uh i think uh, we're right about an hour a little over but um if there's anything else you want to add i think we're pretty much covered the original topic with some le i mean this is a 
we'll be talking about probably this topic for the whole year. Well, yeah. In well, a variety wanna, of ways. Well, I want to end it on the idea. It's like, just like you got to shoot all the other, there's also a time when, guess what? You didn't need to shoot your that that loved one that was it was still valuable. All you had to do is just give him a shot. Up. You just need to go down the street and get old yellow a fucking shot, man. You didn't need to fucking blow his head off. Jesus Christ. I mean, yeah, okay, it seemed like he was dangerous at the time, and you know, but it's an animal that you love. And, Try to hug him. <laughs> yeah, don't, well, don't, don't hug him until you fucking medicated you know, first. Until you medicated him. You, know, you didn't need to blow his fucking head off. You medicate know, you first, need, then hug. Yeah, so you need to go get him the fucking medicine, and then, you know, guess what? Old yellow might save your life later. You don't fucking know. Um, there are actually, uh, yeah, you might have a fucking heart attack. And uh, this actually happened to um, a cousin of mine back in uh, the old country where uh, he had uh, a little conniption fit with his heart. And uh, the puppy that he actually rescued from some assholes beating it up as a puppy uh, is uh, now uh, elderly dying, sad uh, dog, um, got uh, raised a ruckus. Uh, and then people came hmm. and uh, got him to the hospital medical home. Yeah, so, stuff you know, yeah so it literally could save your life. Yeah. Um, if you just like the point is that's why that's why uh, that's why nature constantly is trying to create more versions, trying to create more species, uh, because it, as soon as there is enough resources available, it tries lots of different things and allows them to not be destroyed. Now each one of them it, it ends up becoming potent in its own way, but there are a lot more. There's a lot more allowance. Yeah, for for variation that occurs, and it is literally controlled by the genes. There are epigenetic changes, and epigenetics is specifically it's, changes to that's the DNA. signaled by scarcity or by uh, the, the availability of resources. Thanks for my thunder. Sorry. Uh, yes, there are, uh, and this thing that we're talking about—the difference between uh, living in the jungle versus the desert, and uh, why those creatures behave in the ways they do—is mandated by their. Uh, DNA uh, epigenetic changes, which is changes throughout your lifetime. It actually is you don't just reproduce and then the kids live a different life and then they reproduce and you know and, and it changes based on just mixing people. No, you what you do in your lifetime, uh, our DNA is all like ruled up. There's a lot of it in there. And it has these little uh, nubs, like you know, your headphone nubs, if you people have those, like a little nub that you roll your uh, headphone wire around. It's like that, but with DNA, and they're called histones, and there's little little thingies that, uh, like, I don't know, a yo-yo with the string wrapped around it of, of DNA, and it holds it in place. And so only the parts that are exposed can be transcribed by your proteins, or by, like, the whatever, the, whatever the fuck does Transcription it. Back. The machinery that creates all the proteins and all the, the builds all the cells and creates all the, the brain cells and guides your... So the point Health is it, and personality it limits access or exposes certain yes. areas. Those little histones, I guess, yeah, they get changed um, based on scarcity or abundance, and so different parts of your DNA uh, will be manifest in yourself and actually passed on to your children uh, as well, based on the environment that you live in. So there's a lot of really interesting shit. Uh, this is our this is our jam, man. So happy to have a show to talk about this. Um, we talk about this amongst each other all the time, and because yeah, it's interesting. Well, well, I can say something random in a Twitch stream. It's like you're like, what the fuck? Or a camera stream. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, anyway, um, that's about it for that. Um, so yeah, next show: uh, scarcity and abundance, left versus right. Uh, what is morality, and how we can actually change it with a little magnet applied to the brain. Really interesting stuff. 
Uh, please support the show at patreon.com slash Anna Cherry. Uh, we are um, really close to a next goal that will allow me to do more videos on this channel. Um, and yeah, that's about it for us. Uh, stay uh, tuned if you're a patron. I will be uh, dropping the link in the Discord as well as a message through Patreon itself. And we'll be going over the uh, the tests of uh, cultural tolerance and navigating the world of forced truth. So that should be interesting. Um, thank you for joining us. And we will see you guys next month.